like when I looked at that picture that Adeline drew and all of that guilt came forward, it was self-imposed. I'm not a bad mom. I'm not a mom who isn't present for my kids. And I felt all of this guilt about something that wasn't true. And in that situation, I needed somebody else to speak to me because I couldn't even see the forest for the trees. How do you forgive when the wound is still open? How do you leave a legacy of redemption instead of dysfunction? How do you trust God when your deepest fears are realized? Join me, Sarah May, along with some wise mentors along the way as we explore these and other messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Today on the show is Jessica Turner, the author of The Mom Creative Blog and the new book, Stretched Too Thin, which right now is only $1.99 on Amazon just for this month. So click on the link in the show notes and go get yourself a copy while you're listening. I asked Jessica to be on today because I think for the working mom, there's a lot of guilt and complicated emotions, and I've asked her to come and talk to us about how to deal with those emotions some background. I never called myself a working mom for years because I thought a working mom was, if I'm being honest, a bad mom. And the words working mom were bad words. In fact, I was that awful stay-at-home mom who judged working moms, so much so that Jessica told me that years ago, like probably back in 09 or 2010, when I was pretty steeped in legalism, that I had left one of the meanest comments on her blog about her being a working mom. I have since asked forgiveness of Jessica, and she has so graciously forgiven me. Today, I am a working mom. I work from home, but I work. I podcast, I write, I travel, and speak sometimes. I also love my kids, and I'm hugely invested in them, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, as Jessica is in so many of you out there listening. My hope as you listen is that we would better love and support each other, being able to vulnerably and honestly share how it's going, when it's tough, and when it's wonderful. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so Jessica, I just want to jump right in and right off the bat in your book, Stretch Too Thin, and this isn't even all about your book. This is really just you as a working mom, but your book is so helpful. You have the inscription to the dedication to your mom who was a working mom, and you say that your grandmother was a working mom. And so you come from a long line of working women, and I'm wondering, what was that like growing up for you in a household with a working mom? I really didn't know any different. So it was great. My mom didn't work 40 hours. So she was around when I was around for the most part. She did all the drop off and pick up. She generally worked, I think, maybe 830 to 3. And oftentimes we were the last ones to get picked up because mom was coming straight from work. But it was great. And I I saw work as kind of a part of life. And that was what families did. Most of my friends had working parents. And if I had friends who were stay-at-home moms, I don't necessarily remember ever thinking that their lives were different because their moms didn't work. Hmm. Yeah, I can relate with that. My mom worked, my stepmom worked, my dad worked. I came from a working family as well, and I didn't really notice a difference either. So, you know, and I think now that I'm a mom, I think it's really important 
that we model that type of behavior. You know, I mean, it's very normal. And so 70% of American moms with children under the age of 18 work in some capacity. So I, I think knowing that that is actually the norm, even if maybe in your circle, that isn't the norm. I know where I live in Nashville, I have a lot of mom friends who don't work. Um, and that can sometimes be challenging and we might get into that. But, you know, it's helpful for me to remember that the norm is for women to work and research research shows that kids who come from families with moms who work actually grow up to be hardworking. They grow up to be great parents, more involved parents. There's a lot of positive data around having working parents. So I don't think that it is a negative thing at all. Yeah, I read that in your book about the research too. And I thought it was interesting. There are more leaders, managers, those kinds of things as well. And for sons, uh, being able to help with the load too watching their fathers help out, which actually brings me to the question, did your father work as well or did he help pick up the load? What was that like in your family with the roles between your mom and your dad? Because I even know now for a lot of women, myself included, even even though my husband is great and my biggest fan, I still find myself picking up, you know, all of the load, you know, the laundry and the dishes and the cooking and all of the things. So did you see anything different growing up? I would say they were very traditional gender roles in my family for the most part. My dad had a 40-hour-a-week job. My parents actually met at Target in the 70s, and my mom still works for Target today. She's worked for them for almost 40 years, and my dad was a a store manager for Target my whole childhood. He left the company when I was in college. Um, So he was uh, running a large-volume store in Wisconsin. So his hours, you know, sometimes he was closing the store and that sort of thing. So my mom did... Primarily all the cooking, except dad would do grilling. If if grilling was happening, that was dad's job, which is funny because in my family, I feel the same way. And so Matthew does all the grilling I've never grilled before. Like in my head, that's just something dads do. Um my dad made lunches. I feel like that was like the one thing in the mornings. He was the one who was responsible for doing lunches. Um, but mom did most of the theater practices and dance classes and that sort of thing. Dad came to the shows and certainly was a very present, supportive father. Um, but my mom carried the brunt of the household responsibilities. Yeah. And what is it like in your family now, do you find that it's the same or do you and your husband, Matthew, pretty much share those responsibilities? Certainly, we share a lot more than I would say my dad did. My husband has the flexibility of being someone who works full-time from home. And so he actually does nearly all of the drop-off and pickup of the kids. He does most of the practices for sports and dance and that sort of thing. He is usually the one who cooks dinner as well, especially during the week. Um, He doesn't balk at, you know, doing a grocery run or that sort of thing. I would say my responsibility is laundry. It's very rare (laughs) that Matthew's doing a whole bunch of laundry on the weekends or that sort of thing. But Matthew does all the outside stuff. I don't do anything outside. So we kind of do have a little bit of like an inside outside thing. I also am an Enneagram eight and I'm very particular about things. (laughs) And so sometimes he will say, you know, I would love to 
clean off the dining room table or whatever, but I don't know where you want everything to go. And so he'll just leave that for me. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. That's really funny. And I just want to be clear to people who are listening, when we're talking about working moms, it's not about being inside or outside the home. I mean, whether you're working a corporate job or you're working whatever outside the home or you're doing work in the home, it's all work. My husband recently said to me, Sarah, you realize you're a full-time working mom, right? Like you need to actually acknowledge it and say it. And so I'm only now after all of these years, even though I've been working for years, able to acknowledge it. And I just had some deep seated things to deal with there. So interesting to hear you say that because it was actually a big conversation. So the subtitle to the book is How Working Moms Can Lose the Guilt, Work Smarter, and Thrive. And we had a lot of debate about if we should use the phrase working mom in the subtitle because there are a lot of moms out there who they're primarily moms who stay at home and consider themselves stay-at-home moms, but like you, they actually have some sort of job, whether it's they're selling Pampered Chef or they're selling LuLaRoe or they're doing a little bit of writing, whatever. They're doing something that's bringing in an income, but they'll say, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I sell LuLaRoe. And I'm like, you're not a stay-at-home mom. You're a mom who has an home-based business. You're a working mom, you know? And I said, you know, if there are people out there who can't articulate that they're working moms, they can't declare that of who they are as a woman, then honestly, they've got to get over some other things before they're going to be okay with reading a book, I think, like Stretch Too Thin. Um, Because I think it's really important to be able to say, I am a working mom. Yeah. And that's really good. And for anybody listening who has been like me, first of all, I read the book. The book is excellent. It's very, very good. And I felt like like it spoke to me. In fact, so much so that it helped me even just this week. It got me thinking about some things that I want to change and work on. And so I I found it very encouraging. Uh, But for those of you who are struggling with that term, I would say to ask yourselves, why? What, What is going on in my heart or my mind that is causing me to think of that term working mom as sort of this bad term? And I would just say question that because there's nothing wrong with it. And we look, we can look through the scriptures and we can see working women all through it. And so anyway, also, um, Mike Willin, who is your dear friend, the nester, I love how she says that she was a stay-at-home mom. And then she said, she wrote a blog post and it was something like, oh, the accidental job, like all of this time I had a job and, <laughs> and didn't even know it. Did you hear when she wrote that or did you see that? I don't remember that particular post, but I think uh, we all have kind of that aha moment at some point for women who have home-based businesses where it's like, oh goodness, this is actually work. I am working. And I think that is really important to recognize that you are contributing to your family financially and you have something else on your plate compared to moms who are full-time focusing on parenting their children. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, and I've said this, that I love about your book is that it's, it's vulnerable and it's very honest and you don't hold back from your feelings of feeling guilty. And it's complicated, right? Because you have these feelings that surface. And at the same time, you know, you love your work, you're doing good work, you love your kids, you're invested. And in your book, you tell a story about your daughter drawing a picture that made you cry. And it was very touching. And I was wondering if you could tell us that story and the roller coaster emotions that you've experienced as a working mom that I'm sure so many also have. 
Sure. So when she was graduating from kindergarten, if you can say graduating, it was the end of her kindergarten year. And she brought home one of those little packets that are so popular, I feel like, in elementary school where she had to draw her school and she had to draw her favorite subject. And there was a page where she had to draw her four favorite memories from the school year. And one of them said, Daddy. And it was a picture of her and Matthew. And I um, I just lost it. I started crying right there when I turned that page. And she was there. And normally I feel like I really will, you know, keep things together <laughs> around my kids. And so she knew that something she had done had made me cry. Um, and my husband said, why are you crying? And I said, because she's going to remember you at school. And she's going to remember me in an office. And that just broke my heart. Now, mind you, I had been at her school during the school year. I had been at the Valentine's party and I had, you know, been there for their big end of the year presentation. And it wasn't like I wasn't present during that year. It was honestly the fact that my husband had been there more recently. And so that was what was in the forefront of her five-year-old mind when she was coloring that packet. But to me, it was a representation of something that I struggle with of not being able to be there for all of the things with my kids. Mm -hmm. And it was just that ugly mom guilt rearing its head, even though I know that I'm a great mom. I know that I'm present. I know that my kids are not going to look back on their lives and feel like I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And yet still in that moment, I felt a lot of guilt for not being represented on that worksheet. Yeah. Yeah. I remember for years, even though I was writing and running a conference and still convinced in my own mind that I was just a stay-at-home mom, um, I can remember trying to hide it from my kids. Like, no, mom doesn't work. I'm I'm fully and completely and 100% here and, and yours and and I don't do anything else. And it was like, I hit it. Like there was all this shame involved. Mm. And I can remember one day I was working on the conference and I mean, I had deadlines and I had to finish. And I was so, I was like so stressed and I was crying and I remember slamming the computer shut and I was like, ugh, I'm done with this. And my daughter my oldest, but at the time she was maybe four or five, she's 13 now. And she said, Oh good. You're getting rid of your computer. Like you're not going to do this anymore. And I remember just feeling so much shame and so much guilt. Like I'm failing, I'm not hiding this. And at some point along the way, I was able to say, like say to my kids, yes, mom works. I mean, they already knew it. But for me to actually say it, and throughout your book, you describe so well, I feel like that kind of roller coaster of emotions of feeling guilty and then feeling grateful and and all of it. Um, how has it been for you? Like, how have you learned to tame the guilt? So I think guilt falls into two camps. It can either be something that points us towards something that we want to change and can teach us something. Mm. And Mm -hmm. an example that I give in the book that you might remember, there was a mom who had a teenager and 
every Thursday, the mom worked at night mm-hmm. and the teenager was home. And every Friday, the teenager was in the school band and had to be at the football games and mom was home. And she felt really guilty that she was missing out on a night when she could be hanging out with her daughter that she was working every night. Mm-hmm. And that guilt prompted her to talk to her boss and say, could I change my work schedule and start working on Friday nights instead? then that way she and her daughter would both be home on the same night and then they both would essentially have their work on the same night. Mm -hmm. And so that guilt propelled her to take an action and make a change in her life. And so I think guilt can sometimes be helpful to identify a longing that we have or a change that we want to make. Other times it is really self-imposed, right? Like when I looked at that picture that Adeline drew and all of that guilt came forward, It was self-imposed. I'm not a bad mom. I'm not a mom who isn't present for my kids. And I felt all of this guilt about something that wasn't true. And in that situation, I needed somebody else to speak to me because I couldn't even see the forest for the trees. But a lot of times, particularly as you become more self-aware, and I talk a lot about and stretch too thin about the importance of being a self-aware parent, you can see that in yourself. Like, you know when you are speaking negatively to yourself, when you're feeling guilty over something that's not true, you you know that and we just will choose to wallow in it. And so in those situations, we just need to say, I'm going to stop this. This is not true. I'm not going to stay in this place. Yeah, I think that's really, that's fantastic advice. And I think it's so accurate. And actually speaking of taking an honest look at your circumstances, I love that you do that. I love that you say, you know, at the point, I think, maybe you can tell us the story where you were working and Matthew said to you something like you're working too much and you were like, no, I'm not. And then you realized you had to take a step back and sort of set priorities and and boundaries. And I'm wondering how have you learned to set those boundaries with your work? It's something that I have to do again and again and again. Um, I have learned that in my corporate job, what I want and what I don't want and what I want are boundaries in terms of my time, that I am not in a season where I am willing to work late. I want to leave at five o'clock every night and I do not want to have to respond to a single email. And that is very, very important to me. And that's a boundary I've put in place. And it's actually why I left my first job because that was not a boundary that I could have. Yeah. And so that's really easy for me. Now, because I have essentially a second job with the blog and the books and the speaking, I have to be much more careful because I could work all of the time. And because you love it, right? Because I love it. Yes. And because I also sometimes will get caught in the trap of comparison of seeing what other people are doing and wanting what they have, but I'm can comparing what they're investing 40, 50 hours into what I have the capacity to invest in, which is about 15 hours, right? So I'm, I'm never going to be there, right? So it's very important for me to stay focused on just what I'm doing and what I have the capacity for and recognizing that oftentimes good enough is good enough, that I don't need to publish every single day, whatever the thing is, but having to be boundaried because I want to be present and I want to do things that matter and are important to my family. I don't want to be working all the time. And it's easy for me because I do kind of have workaholic tendencies. And I'm also, I feel like very efficient with my time. So I'll be like, oh, I can add that one more thing in. I can add that one more thing in. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yes, that is so good. I remember I've always looked at you and thought, 
oh my gosh, she is such a robot. Like she can do all these things. And it was so neat to see, which obviously isn't true, but it was so neat to see in your book how you actually say like, I'm not a robot. We're not robots. Like I have emotions and feelings and, you know, I have to, you know, set boundaries and figure out my own capacity and just take a look at my house and you'll see that like, no, I don't have endless capacity and I don't do it all. And just figuring out what you can and will do and what you choose not to do. And I think you bringing up capacity is so important because we can't compare ourselves. Everybody has different capacities. I wish I could do a million more things in my day, but I don't have the capacity to do it. And we all just have to look and figure out for ourselves, like, honestly, what is my capacity? I remember Carrie Bailey. I don't know if you know who she is. She's a life coach. Are you familiar with who she is? I'm not. Okay. Well, she had coached me one time and she said, Sarah, why is it that you feel like every time you take something off your plate, you have to immediately fill that spot again? Like, why can't you just let it be? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't even know I did that (laughs) until I learned how to stop filling the plate. Do you struggle with that at all? Like once you let something go, do you struggle with not filling it with something else right away? I think the area, it'd be be interesting for you to ask Matthew that question (laughs) because sometimes you can't see yourself accurately. I think the area where I do that the most is probably my blog um, as it relates to sponsored content Hmm. that it can be very tempting to say yes to a lot of opportunities and then become overwhelmed. Um, I've gotten, I think, a lot better at that. And and honestly, I think I've gotten better as I've diversified my income streams for my online business. But there have been seasons where I've over-yesed myself in that area. Hmm. That makes sense. And my husband will be like, we don't need the $500. It isn't worth the stress or whatever the thing (laughs) is, you know? And I'm like, but it's so easy. He's like, right, but it's one more thing on your plate. You know, it's not worth it, even if it is $500. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, there's another thing that you talk about, and you don't use this word, but I'm using this word, are setting anchors in your day. So you gave an example, and I don't know if these were personal or just random examples, but you said like, leave home at a certain time, read to my kids and something else I don't remember, but it was like three things. It wasn't this list of like 15 things. It was like this idea of just pick some anchors in your day that are unchangeable for the most part. Um, Can you tell us what, what are the anchors in your day that you refuse unless you have to, you know, for an emergency or whatever, but that you refuse to change? It's really important that I do something with each person in my family that makes them feel seen. Mm. And not even that they could articulate that. But for instance, we're recording this podcast after I just came off a three and a half day trip. And I worked a lot last week and wasn't super present. And today I've got multiple interviews that I'm doing, but I know that I'm going to be home for about an hour and a half. And it's the first time my kids will have seen me in three and a half days. And I'm only home for an hour and a half before they'll be in bed. And Mm -hmm. so I've already thought in my head, okay, what's the thing that I'm going to do with each child so that they feel like they got a piece of mommy, Mm -hmm. even though she's in a really busy season and working a lot. So that's really important to me. And the same with my husband. You know, when I came home, I picked up a little something for him at the airport and 
he was like, what? You brought something for me? Like, I didn't bring something for the kids. I brought something for him. But it was really important to me that he felt loved. And I said, I just know that you've been doing a lot and having to carry a lot of the load Mm. the past few days and few weeks, honestly. And I just wanted you to know that I love you and appreciate you. And Mm. so just something small every single day. And it can honestly be as simple as giving the person you're talking to eye contact (laughs) and not being distracted by something else. But that is something that's really important to me that when my kids go to bed, that they know that they are loved and that I had time for them. I love that. That is so sweet. And by the way, I love that you got that gift from Matthew. One of my favorite chapters in your book is the marriage chapter. And it is just so sweet and so encouraging and inspiring. So... Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That was something I really debated about including, but I surveyed 2,000 working moms in writing the book because I didn't just want it to be my working mom story. And I really Mm -hmm. wanted it to be representative of a lot of different women. And in those survey responses, two-thirds of them said that it was a struggle to invest in their marriages or that that was an area that they felt stretched too thin. And it makes a lot of sense, right? When you've given of yourself to work and you've given yourself to kids and you've tried to do a little stuff at home, like sometimes Mm -hmm. we're just really drained. But, you know, hope. Hopefully someday all of our kids will leave our houses and then the only person that we have left is our spouses, right? So it's so important. So I'm glad that that chapter resonated with you. I did. I loved it. And as you were talking about making sure that your kids know that they are loved and seen, it reminded me of something else in your book that I thought, oh my gosh, this is so relatable and so true. And it's when you had this idea of the perfect summer and you say that as a working mom, And I experienced this too. Summers are more challenging because you have your kids home and you have to figure out like, how are we going to manage schedules? And you say that you had this idea of the quote unquote, you know, perfect summer where you're at the pool with your kids and you're doing all these things and you felt, you know, kind of guilty of like, you couldn't give this to your kids. And so you sat down and you made a bucket list with your kids and and what happened? How was the outcome of what you thought versus what your kids thought? Right. So I'm thinking it's these spectacular long days at the pool and trips to the beach and, you know, all of these experiences. And it was water balloons and it was making s'mores and it was a trip to the pool. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't extensive. It was something that was completely doable, even within the confines of a a 40-hour weekday job. And I I think that sometimes we have our perspectives based on what we see on Pinterest or what we see on our social media feeds is that is what is best and right instead of what our families need and what they actually want. I love that. What they actually want. We can build up these whole worlds in our minds of what we think our kids want or need. And here it's like you ask them and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's doable. I can I can do this. And so I just thought that was really wonderful. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I was thinking about how, you know, as I was reading your book and I, you know, Matthew is very much like my husband in that he is my biggest fan. Like he's supportive. I know Matthew supports you whenever I wanted to quit. My husband's like, don't quit. Like you're pretty like terrible when you're not doing something that engages your brain. Um, and he's like, you're a good mom. I need you to be doing things that, you know, give you life. And so that has always encouraged me. And I know that Matthew encourages you so much, but a lot of women out there, um, maybe don't have husbands that are supportive or just don't know how to ask for help. And it kind of reminded me, I, I when I was at home and I had uh, two babies, 
you know, two toddlers or whatever, and I was pregnant and, and I was so tired and I was so exhausted and I never wanted to ask my husband for help. And it wasn't until my sister-in-law said, why don't you just tell him how you feel? And I was able to say to him, I'm, I feel like I'm drowning and I feel like you're asking me to swim harder. And what I need is for you to throw me a rope and like pull me in and help me. And I'm thinking about the, the moms out there who are going like, that's me. Like I am drowning. I am stretched too thin and I don't, I don't know what to do. And I just, I'm curious, Jessica, what do you have to say to the single mom or the mom who feels alone and unsupported? What encouragement do you have for her? So I think those are two different moms because Mm -hmm. I think a single mom who doesn't have anyone Mm -hmm. has more challenges than someone who has somebody who isn't helping. Mm. So for the single mom, I want to say that you are incredible and I don't know how you do what you do and to lean on your community and to be vulnerable enough to ask for help of your community. Because I know that there are single moms in my life that if they were to say to me, hey, I really need a night out. Could you come over and take care of the kids tonight? I would be there in a second. Mm. But I don't know that they are on my mind enough for me to proactively say, hey, can I come and do this for you? Yeah. I had a month experience of being a single mom just a month um, when my husband was traveling overseas for work. And I had a friend who called me and said, hey, I'm coming over to your house tonight. I can watch your kids if you want to go run errands. I can fold laundry that you have in the dryer, but I just am going to come and give you a second set of hands. Mm -hmm. And it made me weep because I felt seen um, during a time when I, I did feel alone and stretched too thin. And so I think for single moms, if you can be vulnerable enough to ask for help, um, I think that's really important. And I would also say that self-care is really, really important for you, um, that you've got to be taking care of yourself to be able to do the other things that you're doing well. And I know that feels hard and sometimes it seems easiest to neglect yourself, um, but eventually it is not going to be a good thing. You're, you will break from exhaustion or from pain, um, from lack of sleep. And so prioritize yourself much higher on your list than you probably are. For the women who are feeling unsupported or alone, I think that you need to have a hard conversation. And that goes back to the marriage chapter and being able to be vulnerable that our spouses are not mind readers and that you need to be able to say to your spouse, this is an area that I'm struggling and your spouse is the person who loves you the most in the world. Mm. Even if you feel alone and unsupported, they love you. They might not know how to love you in a way that you need right now, but they want what's best for you. And so I think you need to be bold enough to have that conversation of this is something that is a struggle for me. I need help or we need to do this differently or we need to bring somebody else in to help because I can't keep living like this. Mm. And that is something that they are going to hear. And you need to do it in a way that is kind and respectful. It's not yelling and you just lose your crap because it has been like a 
teapot that's about to go over, you know? Um, So don't wait till you're at that stage because what I have found again and again in my marriage, when I wait and just let things simmer, then when I explode, it's so much worse than if I would just have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so, so important and so smart. Another thing you talk about how as moms, sometimes we can play the martyr role (laughs) because we're working. Um, And I can't remember exactly what you said, but I remember thinking like, yes, it's so easy to do that. Why do we do that? Why do we play that martyr role as a mom? Right. Yeah. That mother, I think I say motherhood is not a calling for martyrdom. And that's what it is. And it is so true. Like just because you are a mother doesn't mean that that means you have to sacrifice taking care of yourself, that you have to never go out with your friends because you're a mom. Like that's ridiculous. But I, I do feel like there's a lot of women out there who pull that card. Oh, I've really got to be home with my kids tonight. No, you don't. You can go out. It is just fine. Your kids are going to be fine. They're going to be parented by their other parent or they're going to have a babysitter who they'll probably have more fun with than you anyway. You know, like go out, <laughs> enjoy your life. <laughs> we'll probably all be happier moms too, huh? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So on page 208, and I'm just saying the page, although I'm sure you're going to know the reference, you talk, a, you talk about the juggling act life that you heard from another mom. Can you tell us what that is? Because I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, it's one of my favorite visuals from the book, and I use it a lot when I'm speaking as well. So a woman in the survey said that she thinks of her life as a juggling act, but that all the balls aren't the same. There are balls that are rubber, and there are balls that are glass. And when you think about all the things that you're juggling, what balls, if they drop, will remain the same? They'll bounce back. And what balls, if they drop, will crack? And I think in my vantage point, it's pretty easy to categorize those things. My family and myself are the glass balls, and my work and my home are the rubber balls. And I think we often kind of get those mixed up, and we will treat ourselves like rubber balls when, in fact, we should be treating ourselves like glass balls, and we will treat our work like glass balls when, in fact, it's a rubber ball. And so it's been really transformative for me in the way I think about things and the way I prioritize things. You know, at the end of my life, I'm not going to say, man, I'm really glad I got that ad campaign launched, you know, or I'm really glad I, I did that thing on social media, but I'm going to be grateful for the people who I invested my life in. And so I think that's just a really cool analogy for how we live our lives. I love it. I love that so much. Okay. I just have one last question for you. What is the number one piece of advice that you have for working moms who are feeling stretched too thin? And I add this, what do you wish someone would have said to you in your sort of worst moments or feeling guilty moments or whatever it is? What do you wish somebody would have reached out and said to you? So, of course, my best advice is going to be to get stretched teeth in, right? Like that's going to be the great resource, marketing girl that I am. But, you know, I think honestly the biggest piece of advice that I give to moms when I talk about this topic is to start with just one thing. So 
in Stretch Too Thin, I go through all the pain points that we have in working motherhood from investing in friends and taking care of ourselves and our marriage and parenting and work boundaries and all the things. And it can feel really overwhelming to read all of this practical advice or to hear all of these things that you can be doing. And so I think just pick one area and start with one thing. And if you can do that one thing, then you can build on that and you can build on that, that you don't need to apply all of the things or make all of the changes or do this radical overhaul that you can start small and start just with one thing. The big piece of advice that I like to give is in terms of something that I want people to come away with is for them to know that they're a great mom. And I know that sounds really simple, but it's true. Every single one of us is a great mom that was uniquely created to parent our kids. That our kids need us just as we're wired, just as we are. And so don't let the little things distract you from that. Be confident in who you are and what you're capable of and know that you are doing a great job. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show. You are such a delight and your book is such a gift and I'm so grateful for you. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Don't forget, you can get Jessica's book, Stretch Too Thin, right now till the end of the month. That's it for only $1.99. So get to it. Links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Love this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not. So please, if you like the show, take a minute and give it a review. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out sarahmay.com forward slash the complicated heart podcast. See you next time.